Welcome to a very special edition of Leading Edge Interviews. I am your host, Super Dave. Now, as you know, this series is normally dedicated to chatting with the greats of the frog world, getting to know them and their work a little bit better. But this time around, we're going to be doing something a little different. This time around is going to be all about Alex, Getty, and Neil. Rush, of course. So with 2024 being the 50th anniversary year of the release of the band's self-titled debut, as well as Neil Peart joining the band as the new drummer and the one that would change the direction of their career, I'm going to be doing a year-long celebration of them and their amazing body of work. As part of that, what I'm going to be doing is finding celebrities to talk to, celebrity fans of the band to talk about how they came to discover Rush what the band has meant to them over the years and you know generally do what rush fans do geek out over the holy trinity of hard progress that's what we do <laughs> now if you've lived in the philadelphia area for any period of time at all especially as long as i have you are going to be almost certainly familiar with the region's number one rated morning show on the radio preston and steve on wmmr so these guys have been doing it for decades now and they've done so much for the community. They have earned so many professional accolades and awards, not the least of which was their induction into the Radio Hall of Fame in 2021. These guys are a big deal. Uh, they are also the reason that whenever I hear my name, I also hear this. Yeah, they have pretty well ruined like about 67% of the names in the English language for me, but <laughs> I love them for it. Always worth it. Anyway, the most important thing of note here, though, is that the Preston component of the show, Preston Elliott, is a huge Rush fan, as well as a drummer. Pretty accomplished drummer, too, I will say. He has played with the likes of Mike Portnoy, uh, who himself you may have heard of on this channel once in a while. Anyway, I was extremely happy to get to sit down to talk with him and just gab for a while about Rush and our shared love of the band. It was uh, a very fun conversation, and just two Rush fans talking about Rush. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Preston Elliott, Preston and Steve on WMMR, about Rush. Well, thank you very much for joining me, sir. I, I appreciate your time, and this is uh, something to get started in my year-long celebration of all things Rush. And they creep up on their 50th anniversary since their debut, at least. Obviously, they've been a band a much, much longer than that. But the band, as we know them, became Rush on July 29th when Neil joined the band, really. Basically, here to geek out a little bit, but I, I, I love talking Rush, and I certainly love talking Rush with somebody that I know is a huge, huge Rush fan. If I'm not mistaken, they are second only to the Beatles for you. Correct. So... Starting off the basics, how did you first get exposed to Rush? Where did you come into contact with them? Uh, so I remember I have a vague memory of the first time hearing Rush on the radio, and it was it was probably Spirit of Radio, and so it was right before um, uh, it was right before Moving Pictures came out, and I remember I was in my driveway and. It's outside and it was night and it, and uh, the song came on the radio and I'm like, it just kind of caught my ear. And at the time I was probably, that would have been, I was in junior high. We just call it junior high, not middle school. <laughs> and I was probably in like 
seventh grade, something like that, sixth, seventh grade. And, and, uh, just something about the sound of it was really, really cool. Uh, and it caught my attention. And then I wasn't aware of the band until later that year, seventh grade. I remember that somebody had, had played Tom Sawyer for me and it, it was still, you know, it had a cool sound to it, but I, I hadn't clicked with the band yet. When I clicked was the first time a friend of mine played 2112 for me. And I think that that's, I probably have that in common with a lot of people of a certain age that weren't with Rush on the way up growing up with them. And maybe they stumbled upon that album years and years after it had already been out. And I remember the friend of mine telling me, Hey man, this is a song about a guy in a different planet in a different world in a futuristic society that finds his guitar and music is illegal and blah, blah, blah. And he laid out the story for me. I'm like, that sounds trippy. That sounds really cool. And then he, I think I'd seen the album. I saw the naked guy on the cover of the album and I thought it was kind of funny. And so he started telling me the story and then he puts the album on and I'm like, you know, it opens up with, you know, the swirling synth and, and all this stuff. And immediately I was, uh, you know, visuals were popping up in my head and is creating this, this image in my mind, which blows me away. And then the first thing I fixate in is the percussion, the drums and Neil and that unbelievable speed and ingenuity and, you know, uh, the, the, um, just the complexity of what he was playing and all this stuff. And I was like, man, it switch was thrown. It was like immediately I was blown away, captivated by this music. I was not overly familiar with conceptual music either. I, I was not aware of, I was a huge Beatles fan but I had never really taken Sergeant Peppers as a conceptual piece because I was still pretty young and I didn't understand the way the music threaded together. I did like how the songs bled into each other, you know, a day in the life at the, at the end of the album, it, it you know, kind of flows into that song. The same thing with, you know, a little help from my friends from Sergeant Peppers and a little help from my friends into, um, uh, into Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, so I was, I was aware of that, but I didn't, I didn't know about like a story connecting song to song to song. And that album opened up a world to me. And, and th at that point then I was like, Oh, you know, the wall from Pink Floyd, that's like that too, you know? And, and so all these avenues started to open up and I was just, uh, I took a trip down into progressive music, but rush in general, I was like, I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted to yeah. know, or I wanted to find out more from the band, and that's what opened it up. Yeah, you say a couple of these things, and one I should note: we're we're about the same age. I think you're probably about nine months ahead of me, so we're usually okay. hitting the same number age, the same year every year. So the touchstones are kind of similar. I, I realize as we're talking that probably somewhere, way way back there, "Spirit of the Radio" was something I heard on on the radio basically in the car riding wherever my parents were driving me to. And I, and I do have this memory of hearing it on a particular road. So I was a kid. I was, well, not that young, but I was young enough. And I remember liking it. I remember not having an idea who it was. Okay. Just that I dug the song. That Just that I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then I think a little bit down the road, you know, I, I probably heard a little bit dribbed and drabbed here and there. But it, like you, it didn't punch me in the gut immediately. I never had that moment where I, I don't think I've ever had a, that moment with any band where the moment I heard them, I went, oh my God, maybe Dream Theater. That mm -hmm. might have been about it. And I can think back to, 
you know, getting a little bit of exposure. My friend Scott next door was usually my my source for musical stuff because he had an older brother. I'm an only child, so I had nobody to pass anything down to me. Mm-hmm. The thing that always distinctly co- comes back to me was one day his brother's driving us to the mall. He's playing whatever he's playing in his Pinto. I'm in the back seat, and as it turns out, it was exit stage left. Okay. So you can probably guess where this is going. Yeah. At a certain point, a drum solo started and and pretty much never ended. Yep. And I just remember being completely and utterly gobsmacked at yeah. what I was hearing because I'd never heard anything like that at that point in time. I was scared off for a long time. I, I bought a lot of the albums around that time, Signals and Moving Pictures and and, and uh, Permanent Waves. I, I can remember there was a little bit, a friend of mine had me influenced a little bit with the satanic panic kind of crap. And I remember that put me off of <laughs> buying 2112 for a while because I got a little freaked yeah. out about the Red Star. Yep, yep, yep. I remember all that. Absolutely. Yeah. That stuff weirded me out a bit too because I was a kid. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then at some point I like, remember reading their lyrics i'm going why would these guys possibly be doing that get over yourself dave but yeah i the drumming i i'm with you i think at some point in time it was the amazing level of musicianship and especially neil that pulled me in you're a drummer i'm a dude who played drums in school but i could i could recognize the talent there but i could never come close to achieving it so that's what i thought was kind of funny it's kind of funny how we have some similar moments throughout all of that I'm sure we have that in common with a whole lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm happy I came in in that sweet spot right there because I never struggled with the switch to the more synth sounds of the 80s versus the the, the 70s. But I don't know. How did you weather that? Was that something that threw you off and you you hated Uh, like some bands did? Maybe uh, not as much. Not until after rolled bones and and uh you started getting into you know hold your fire and and they kind of started to lose me and i i, I kind of lose track of the of the progression once you get to like to you know test for echo and and uh and vapor trails and so on i kind of started to phase out of that and i know that they that wasn't super heavy synth but i my first new album as a fan for rush was signals so when that came along, in fact, I still have, yeah, they have, they have, they have, I have, it was my first real rock concert. And this was the, this was the program Ooh, from that. I, nice. I have it in, in here in this little you know, case, but this is the program I actually bought at that concert. Wow. Um, so I hung on to that. And so when singles came out, you know, I was, um, I was a drummer. I was obviously taking all these band classes at school. So all the other drummers were big Rush fans too. And so we were just, you know, talking about Rush and Neil and all the parts. So when that album came out, which I want to say, what year was that? 1984? Somewhere right 82, there? actually, I think. 82. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So when that came out, um, that was my first time to grab brand new music from Rush and sit down and absorb it and take it in. And I wasn't uh, I wasn't put off by the heavy synths because there was already some of it leading into that uh, with um, uh, with moving pictures and yeah. obviously there was some in in uh, um, uh, permanent waves as well but you know songs like chemistry that had really big you know big padded um, theatrical sounding uh, keys 
didn't blow didn't didn't turn me off too much because I just wanted to absorb absorb this brand new music. First time I had brand new music from Rush, uh, and then that segued into uh, Grace Under Pressure, which got even more synthy. But by that time, I was all in. Dying at Rush, still a young guy, I wanted to be all about it. So nah, you know what? It, it didn't throw me off. And then actually, Power Windows is one of my favorite records for them. That's very very heavy synth and stuff like yeah. that. you know Middletown Dreams and and um uh, mr Rhythms and things like that but nah it it and but i did miss getty's bass and uh as as much as he was doing he was still playing it but not as much and i did miss um a little bit more ripping guitar solos from al or more clear uh sound from that as opposed to real big kind of watery reverbs and, and choruses that he was using effect wise um so it, it turned me off just a smidge but i was still taken in by the odd time signatures, the complexity of the drum parts. Um, when Neil started playing around with the electronics on Grace Under Pressure, I started to get a little confused as a drummer because, you know, when, leading up to that, you knew exactly, okay, he's hitting his concert toms, he's hitting his, his these top floor toms, snare drum, the, and I could kind of play through them or try to figure out the parts. Once all those electronics came in, I'm like, as a drummer, I don't know what to do. I don't know what he's hitting. He's hitting these different pads and they're really, you know, esoteric sounds and I don't know what to make of them. So I got mildly turned off by that stuff, but not enough to where I was like writing off the band or anything like that. Um, and some people did, some people kind of phased out. I think even, you know, in, um, in exit stage left the, uh, um, or no, I'm sorry, beyond the lighted stage, the, the doc, the documentary, you know, even like Portnoy was saying, that's kind of when I checked out, you know, mm. you know, and he was a diehard guy, obviously. Right. Um, right. But I, I, I weathered through it. There were some songs I would skip over, you know, but for the most part, I didn't, I didn't hate it too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, like I said, I, I signals is kind of where it came in, but it wasn't the first new, new, like that was the first new release for you. For me, it was Grace Under Pressure. Okay. And so kind of between those two and i think at that point you know 1984 we are smack into the synth era of the 80s so it's kind of almost expected yeah you know yes it come out with 90125 and things like that what i think is funny and you talked about as well you you went down the progressive rabbit hole and i think back i don't know how long it took me to fully grasp progressive rock as a genre hmm. like i recognized you know, high levels of virtuosity and, and long form compositions and, you know, unusual things. Like I remember being a fifth grader and we were all listening to the wall, oddly enough, because again, dude had an older brother. So we got into things that we might have not otherwise gotten and being amazed at this album that just flowed from song to song. Yeah. And, and giggling like a bunch of 12 year olds would giggle every time they sang, mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? Yeah. So it, it, it was long years after before I really grasped what this whole progressive rock thing and that Rush was one of them. They were, yeah. it was all just music to me. Okay. But the fact that they were doing what they were doing at the time seemed in many ways natural. They were moving in the direction that a lot of other bands were doing. And I wasn't hung up on, oh, I just want to hear what they heard, what they sounded like in the seventies. And I'm glad they evolved. Um, but at yes. the same time, I'm kind of with you. As much as I love Power Windows, at the same time, I always remember thinking, ooh, that feels like the Neil and Getty show. I hear a yeah. lot of spins. I hear a lot of bass. I hear a lot of drums. But but yeah. Alex got kind of buried in the mix a little bit. They lost yep. the balance that I thought they had in Grace Under Pressure. 
And I felt they got back a little bit with Hold Your Fire, although Hold Your Fire wasn't heavy guitars, but the guitars seemed to come back yeah. a bit. Yeah, I, I was the same way. I was like, where's the ripping guitar solos? You know, I mean, that's what I, one of the things I loved. Um, you know, you go into something like uh, Livia Strangiato and you're just like, you know, making the face and just jamming. And that kind of went away for a while. But, but you know, at that time, and we know what was going on musically elsewhere, they were heavily influenced by bands like The Police. And, yeah. you know, and, and so Alex started taking on that more rhythmic role because he really liked um, what... Um, uh, Andy Summers was doing over at the police. And so they were, they were, they were, they were taking what they liked and they weren't stealing, but they were, they were influenced by other things. And you're right. It was cool to see them progress. They could have easily just stayed down that path and gone where their bread was buttered, but they, they wanted to take a chance and they played what felt good to them. And that's, what's been great is the core of the band has always been being true to what they really like and what yeah. they want to create as artists. And I always appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that I always gravitate to with a lot of artists, them especially, was that idea that <clears throat> they weren't there to please the masses. Yeah. They were cognizant of their fans and, and certainly wanting to be respectful of them, but at the same time, making the music the way they were inspired to make it and being true to themselves, Yeah, regardless of anything else. And fortunately, they, they learned that lesson early in their career when, you know, they pushed through with 2112 and kind of did a clap back to the uh, record company who seemingly left them alone forevermore after that. Yeah. Which was nice. Hey, I, I have a question for you. Did you yeah. ever try to not realizing that it just wasn't going to work, try to turn uh, girls on to rush? <laughs> I tried to turn girls on to a lot of music back then. A lot of people, <laughs> it rarely ever worked. I I remember clearly playing it for a couple of girls uh, here and there, and I'm like, yeah. you know, trying to explain to them, you know, how how this complex this music and how intense this is and the message that they're sending, and and it just fell, <laughs> you know. And I was just like, you know, you just don't understand. It's you know, it's just really intellectual, and and it just I didn't know, I didn't know the yeah. girls at the time didn't re dig Rush. I have met plenty of female Rush fans. Bizarrely enough, you know who like she's not a diehard fan, but she likes Rush. Is Kathy Romano actually really likes Rush? Yeah. All the years I've been listening to you guys, and I have not picked up on this. How is that a possibility? Has yeah. she kept that a closely guarded secret? Is yeah. she trying to... every now and then? It just doesn't come up that <laughs> she she likes the hits, you know. That's she likes uh, the Spirit of Radio and Free Will and and uh, Tom Sawyer and and not Limelight and those things. So that's that's cool. That's amazing. Oh, that's yeah. very cool. Kathy has gained points in my uh, estimation at this moment. <laughs> That's, but yeah, girls, no, nah, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And a lot of, I was always seemingly into the more esoteric music as it was. Um, and that just seems to have been my lot in life that I am never heavily pop leaning. I probably was more back then just because I didn't know as much and it was harder to dig down the rabbit holes that I go down these days. Right. Um, so, you know, I was largely left with what was on the radio and what somebody may have handed to me. Um, but that, it brings up a funny story and, and kind of a thing. I was curious about your experience as well. The idea that I remember taking a lot of crap for being a rush fan back in the day, back in the eighties, it seemed like I had friends that liked them and all that, but I also had, it seemed more people that didn't know them when they heard them, they didn't like them. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the, the classic rock heads always look down their nose at them because in their mind, they weren't as good as the Who or Zeppelin or something like that. And I can remember at one point in time, there was a girl I was kind of into and I got, you know, there was a trip with her and her friends to go to Pulsations. Uh, I know you weren't around at that time, but you probably I think you recall them. I think you guys have talked about them before. Yeah, I know right where it was out of media. Yeah. yeah. So I picked up her and her punky, gothy friends. We're all heading to Pulsations. Now, what nobody bothered to make mention to me ahead of time was no jeans were allowed. So the point where I picked them up was too far to go home, get changed, come back. We had to improvise. One of them, one of the girls had a shirt long enough that she could get away with probably just that. And so I ended up in pulsations in stirrup pants of all things. Okay. All right. Stirrup pants. Yes. And of course, while I'm there, the one person from high school I bump into is the guy who would basically be my nemesis, my Newman. The guy who I'm sure would publicize, hey, Dave was in stirrup pants at Pulsations to the entire school. Right. I think he only maybe didn't because I think it was summertime. Now, as I'm there, what I'm wearing up here is I've got, you know, one kind of flannel shirt over a Rush t-shirt. At one point in time, one of these punky girls, I end up kind of dancing with her a bit and all that. And all of a sudden she looks at my shirt and she goes, what the hell are you wearing? I'm like, oh, it's my Rush, Rush t-shirt. And she goes, Rush. Lost all interest in me. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. And the way we wrapped that fun night up was me driving home 10 punkers who hadn't bothered to arrange transportation for themselves, 10 of them okay. in my 1975 Mustang. <laughs> nice. Yes. Good times. Nice. Yeah, I I got lucky. I had uh, a lot of my friends were Rush fans. I was uh, a lot of uh, drummer friends, a lot of Stoner friends. I was in a Stoner crew, you know, back in the 80s. And we were all, it was Van Halen and Rush, man. Van Halen, Rush, Pink Floyd, yes, all that stuff. You know, we were uh, we were pretty diehard at that point. So I got lucky. I didn't, I didn't have to convince too many people other than the handful of girls I made a mistake with trying to move around Oh, that's that's where you were lucky. I, I always felt like I took so much crap, but I was... Oh. I, I look back, and about the time the 2000s came along, I could look back and say, let's see. D&D &D is now cool. Doctor yeah. Who had a revival, and that's a big hit, and everybody knows it. Yeah. Rushed is getting movies made. I love you, man. Yeah. And get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by the end, almost the end of that decade. And all that stuff, and I looked back and went, the world finally caught up with me. It came around. We were ahead of our time. Yep. And it's and it's amazing now because the reverence so deservedly that I see them receiving. Um, and in particular, I don't know how often you get caught in YouTube rabbit holes, but there's this phenomenon of the reaction video where people watch a video and just react to it. It's exactly what it sounds like. And it seems to be the most prominent artist Yep. that is getting all the attention is now Rush. Yeah, a lot of them were like, you know, a classical percussionist listens to Rush for the first time, you know, and, or they'll, they'll take people that, that would be out of the uh, out of the pool uh, of the fan base or but have some musical legitimacy to them yeah. or the people that are into hip hop or whatever it may be, you know, some kind of uh, uh, fish out of water scenario. And yeah, those are those are fun. And you're right. There's a lot of them that focus around Rush. 
it, it's been amazing to me. It's actually what kind of pulled me into some of that stuff because I, I just saw one come up one day and I saw the two guys doing it and I went, huh, yeah. I wonder what they're going to think of this. And they right. went gaga for it. They loved it. And I went, and I see these over and over, people loving them. I'm going, holy smokes, the world has so changed. Yeah. And I was a teenager. Too, in, in like documentaries, like in uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage, you had, um, you know, alt rock kings um uh billy corrigan um trent reznor you know these people that were going the other way musically going very uh you know in in a whole different direction opening up a different world of rock saying that this band was huge influence when you think about it rush was kind of like that in a less cool way um in that they kind of started to head in their own direction they had influences of bands that you know took a uh, more instrument or more uh experimental and and uh, uh adventurous route like the who and and uh uh but they did their own thing with it and they and they 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 made it even more uh technically interesting with odd time signatures and really complex movements and stuff so yeah they were they were definitely groundbreakers in my mind that was the part I, I always loved about them is the fact that they were willing to do things that other people weren't. And they, again, they, it seemed that they took it very seriously. And I was so glad to get to see that documentary and start to see and hear more and more of them um, as I, as I was able to later in life in interviews and such, and to realize that this band that I had this perspective of being so serious so often was really a bunch of goofs, I think, is a yeah. word Getty used. A bunch of goofballs. Yeah. Did you read his? Uh, did you read his uh, biography? I am just starting it now. I admit I'm slower than I wanted to, but I, I wanted to finish up my my biannual Lord of the Rings reading through I before I moved on to another book. So I, yeah. I, I end up reading very slowly because my time is interspersed, and God knows the minute I start to read, I start to fall asleep. But I just started. I got to see him, and I got to see his tour for the book. Okay. Which was amazing because for me it was oh, wow I thought I was never going to see any of these guys in person again. Uh, the book's wonderful. I I couldn't stop. I, I did the audio version of it because I, I listened to it while I'm in my car, and I just I, I just could not wait to get back in and, and hear more of it. And he's such a intelligent, even keeled, uh, compassionate, um, you know, outside of the musicianship, and yeah. it just seems to be. A good person who um just understands a lot about people and i i really really enjoyed reading that book i thought it was fantastic and i've read a couple of neil's books as well ghost rider was really wonderful and that came on the tail and it's wife and daughter dying and and his road to recovery and healing and you know he's a he's obviously was a very intense guy and um, i just yeah i can't get enough Oh, uh, another question outside of the books. Did you see Getty's, um, ba our base player, our base players, people Two series? No, I've not gotten to that. And I saw my list of things to get. Yeah. They're, they're short. The episodes are only 30 minutes long. You can knock yeah. them out real quick. I think Getty, uh, has a nice future continuing to do that. He seems to be a great host and interviewer. Um, and he's got a talent for it. And, um, I think that they can expand on that a lot more and I hope they do. You know, it'll depend on how many people watch it and how successful it is, but I really, really, really enjoyed that feature. Yeah. 
Yeah, you've inspired me. I need to make sure I'm doing that tonight. <laughs> My girlfriend and I get on these binges of shows, so we're uh, kind of clearing things out little by little, and uh, we're we're behind <laughs> doing that. So newer stuff has there really is. There's so much stuff yeah. to watch. Yeah, there really is. And uh, but yes, I've got to I've got to get to that. I oh, that was another one. I almost hit the floor. What yeah. world am I living in that Getty Lee now has a TV show? How does this happening? I, I like. I want to go back and tell thirteen-year-old me about this stuff. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> like it's all going to be good. Cool. But yeah, I agreed. Uh, watching him talk and listening to him as he was reading excerpts from the book and everything like that, and honestly, just as a whole band, it, it's it's one of the things I've always loved about Rush is there never a band I felt in any way, shape, or form I needed to feel a little embarrassed by or, or apologetic. There, there's none of the shenanigans that some other bands have gotten into. There's none of the tawdry crap that goes on. They're like all married to their, well, two of them are married to their high school sweethearts. Yep. Neil was close to that. And God bless him, he got married again. Uh, about the time he passed away, I was in the midst of reading uh, the last of his, I guess, far and away books or whatever, which hit simultaneously as I'm reading about him talking about his relationship with his young daughter and then all of a sudden he's gone. I'm like, crap. All right. Yeah. Well, this is a little harder to read now. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. That was, uh, that, that was a gut punch. I remember exactly where I was. Like, like you, you know, you remember very important moments in your life and, and, uh, that one, I just couldn't believe it. I was just so yeah. blindsided and hurt by that. Um, and I was standing next to my wife and, and she just goes, she heard me kind of gasp and she goes, what? I go, Neil's going. And she like, she knew exactly what I meant. I didn't have to say anything more than yeah. that. And yeah. That was, just, that was terrible. Oh yeah. I, I, I have not one that has heroes per se. Um, can't really ever say I did, but if there was one who would meet that definition for me, it would have been him. Yeah. You know, like I, these are good guys. I, I was hoping to, to one day have encountered him. But then again, I also wasn't because I knew his uh, standoffishness and his, you know, he just felt uncomfortable meeting people he didn't know or meeting fans because it put him in a bizarre um, position for him personally, the way his um, uh, his psyche was. And I, I totally get it. I understand that. Uh, but I did have little fantasies about encountering him in some place that wasn't music related and we just happened to start talking and it would have been cool you know but yeah i i have met alex and getty a handful of times throughout the years and they're very very pleasant and very accommodating and nice guys but i always wanted to at least have an encounter with neil closest i have is is behind me here who is the opposite side this is um uh a guy that worked uh in photography for the band and he was on the time machine tour uh, he sent me all this stuff. So those are sticks that Neil used in oh. uh, um, in warm ups, you know, and in sound check. That is a drum head that he actually signed. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a, a pass, a photo pass. Uh, there's a bunch of pics that are up there. You can't see them because they blended. Yeah. <laughs> this is autographed by all three of them. This is uh, the actual uh, Moving Pictures album that, that they signed as well. I normally don't take stock in someone else getting autographs for yeah. me. I like to get them myself if I'm going to get them because that means it really counts because you met them. Right. But this guy sent this stuff to me. I'm like, oh, I gotta, I have to display that. I gotta put that somewhere. That's fantastic. But you got cooler stuff on your wall than I do. Well, 
Eh, I work in a business that stuff. But yeah, I've got that and I've got an autographed uh um tour guide somewhere around here. I think from Roll the Bones at all three of them signed as well, which is wow. That is very awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, where there's an there's precedent set for me. That's it. if I meet somebody on that level, I got to be careful. Yeah, because I'm really really good at yeah. finding the quickest line between where my foot is and where my mouth is, and just bringing those together. Yeah, yeah, and I, it can be hard because come, there are things you want to say. There are things yeah. you that are important to you. Yeah. that you would like to share with them. And chances are they've heard it from other people before. Yeah. Uh, but still, to be able to to, to convey that, uh, how much it means to you. Uh, I, I stuck my foot in my mouth one time when meeting Alex. He was wearing a, uh, he was wearing a, a Trailer Park Boys shirt. Of course, he's been on Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Uh, and, and I walk up and I go, excuse me, I'm here to see the Trailer Park Boys. You know, I was just joking. And he's like, well, I guess that's me. And like it kind of, and I was like, anyway, uh, oh, very nice to meet you. Thank you. Uh, I'm such a fan, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, oh, you dumbass, you try to make him laugh. That was <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's yeah. kind of the thing I experienced. The script in my head did not flow. He he didn't read his lines. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I said it too. And I'm like, duh. All right. I look like an idiot. And I know I'm smarter than this. The only time I've really literally bumped into a celebrity in the wild, so to speak, was actually, believe it or not, Mike Portnoy. Now, granted, he's at almost all the concerts I go to at this point. <laughs> okay. So it's not unusual, but I know standing outside the Met about a year and a half ago at this point, and one of the guys in line with us goes, hey, is that Portnoy over there at the uh, Will Cole window? And I look over, I'm like, yeah, that is. I turn to my girlfriend to say something. She's already halfway to him. <laughs> like, I'm like, hold on. And I, I basically caught up to her and, you know, snapped a picture and all that and then at that point in time i i know i communicated with mike but i don't know if i actually used words (laughs) we we got a picture together and all that he's very nice and very gracious and i know i look back and i go boy i hope i said thank you yeah and i don't know what i said it just caught me so completely by surprise the only thing i knew i didn't get into at that moment was hassling him hey dude i do this show you (laughs) right i've been trying to practice representation down for ages and i just like i i i think i'm good now now that he's back with the band (laughs) but but he has been my white whale oh really yeah well i'll I'll give you a tip he doesn't do anything before 3 p.m anymore he won't do interviews before 3 so you're probably good (laughs) you can probably get it at some point yeah well we'll see if we can get there someday again i've got some i've got a few bucket list folks I'd like to talk to somewhere along the line, but see what happens with it. Getting back to Rush, I'm curious about something. And I I actually was curious about your perspective of it. One, as a person who is actually an accomplished drummer, as opposed to someone who held some sticks for a few times. I remember getting into this debate with somebody, and it, it was a long time debate. Usually, again, the classic heads would look down on it where Neil, where did he rank among drummers? And and for a lot of them, it was sacrilege for anybody to compare him to somebody like Bonham or or um, Keith Moon. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting into a debate to a debate with one dude online who insisted that Neil could never possibly be anywhere near as good as Bonham because he was not capable of finding a groove, 
of just mm-hmm. jamming that Bonham could always find a groove, whatever, like, and Neil was too practiced and too perfectionistic. And I kept thinking, but somebody gets that perfectionistic somehow. <laughs> they, they get that good somehow. Well, here's my issue with trying to put people in a box and then by the greatest is there's, there's several different types of great. Um, and bottoms groove was unbelievable. You know, he was, he, he, he had a, um, he had a way, uh, to, to, to make this, this feel, this flow happen, which is amazing. And I love John Bonham. I think he was one of the greatest drummers of all time, but he's not my favorite. Neil was my favorite because I was more intrigued by odd time signatures. I was intrigued by the way Neil would build on bass rhythms. And by that, I don't mean bass guitar or bass drum, the, the, the basic of a rhythm. And he would play with it. He would tinker with it. He would change it as the song evolved, his rhythms would evolve. And of course he could play at speed. He could play uh, intricate sticking patterns and things like that. Um, and to me, Personally, I found that more intriguing than what John Bonham was doing. It doesn't make it better than what John did and doesn't make what John did better than Neil, I think. If you want to talk about sheer performance ability, you go to the jazz guys. You go to Dave Wacko and Vinnie Caliuta and these guys that could literally wipe their ass with John Bonham. Yes, I said that just <laughs> But... They probably thought Bottom was a great fucking drummer too, even though technically they could play circles around, you know? So it's all subjective. It all depends on what you find that touches you as great. And yes, there is technical ability. There are people that can play with lightning fast, unbelievable speed. You know, there's, there's Terry Bozio, who's in another fucking realm. He's incredible. And he does really strange stuff that's, complex more complex things than neil did playing in really crazy time signatures with zappa and all the other stuff that he did um so i think you add zeppelin's greatness and what they did to music bottom's feel and all that and i think that that speaks a lot to the people that go john bottom was the greatest drummer in the world and i can't agree with that statement i i don't think there's a greatest drummer in the world i mean buddy rich uh, still stands as a guy that did things that, that drummers today are still analyzing and breaking down and going, wait a minute, what did he do and how did he do that? And he was absolutely incredible. And if, if I were to put, if I were to say best drummer ever, I'd probably put it on that guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and he did it in a fucking suit. He did it in a suit. Yeah, that, that, that suit. Suit. Although he does in a suit is unreal. And he was, you know, in his sixties <laughs> and, Playing these unbelievable fast single stroke rolls that you can barely hear. Then that takes control that just is supernatural almost. Yeah. But there are people that can do that. There are there are yeah. other people that can do it. It's just he did it. Uh he did it first. He did it uh originally he came up with that stuff. People can copy that part of it is what can you come up with on your own? So I have a hard time with comparing bottom and Neil. Um you know, it's it's two different branches of rock music. Um, I just personally found Rush more appealing on a personal level. Um, what they were doing and the journey they were taking you on these songs. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, 
I, I get that most drummers are going to say John Bonham is my favorite drummer. I totally get that. I understand that. Um, and and maybe you know people like um, you know uh, Chad Smith, who's you know mm -hmm. become a really hot commodity lately. Uh, when when Neil died, he was like, oh my God, Neil was incredible. You know, he's one of my all-time favorite drummers, but you always say, I was always a bottom guy. So it, it, and, and so I like the way he puts that. I was always a bottom guy. He's not saying bottom was better than Neil. He's like, I was a bottom guy. Well, I was a Neil guy. You know, that's kind of how I see it as well. So um, it, it just all depends on how you want to package it and, and, um, and, and put a label on it, which I don't really care for. But um, you know, yeah, there are guys that are better than others. I mean, but there are some guys who do things like, uh, if we're going to geek out our drummers for a while, this drummer named Manicache who played with, um, Peter Gabriel on so mm. as drummer, you go and you listen and, and to, to you, you know, may, you may not have taken the time to stop and just listen to what was going on drum wise because lyrically and melodically, the music yeah. is beautiful, but the things that he was doing in the background were so subtle and so tricky and unique and and very sneaky in their complexity as a drummer i'm going this is unreal what this guy is doing you know but not everybody hears that um and it all depends on who you are and what your ears are like and what your personal preference is i'm usually pretty good at picking out a lot of subtleties which is probably one of the reasons why i like prog rock because it gives enough going on all at once that my brain is entertained and focused there's a little bit of that adhd to me so yeah I'm trying to listen to all of it at once and the more that's there, but I, you, you push me to maybe have to go back and listen to the things. Now I'm wondering, what did I miss? What did I yeah. miss on? So, cause yeah, I know that album so well, well. And here are these little subtle, yeah. little bitty things that are being done. They're really, really hard to play very, very. And they're really even more hard to come up with on your own. That's the thing right. that impresses me. Like, Oh my God, that guy thought to do that. Crazy. Yeah. And you know, like Steve Smith from journey, People look at Journey as just this kind of, you know, pop rock band. Some of the stuff he was doing, yeah. you're you're just overwhelmed already by Steve Perry's vocal capability, the melodic uh, awesomeness of those songs and the catchiness of them and, and Neil Sean's unbelievable guitar playing. Well, in the background, Steve Smith was doing some shit that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, know? he was sneaky that way, that you didn't yeah. realize the massive talent behind the kit yep. until years later and you suddenly go, wait a minute, same dude. Well, I, I was actually, I was talking to Mike Portnoy of all people, yeah. uh, the time that he came by and I played with him in the studio, I was telling him what a fan I was of Steve Smith. And I said, you know what, dude, I can't believe that he held back as much as he did with journey, mm. uh, because he went on into the jazz world and ended up doing, you know, showing what he could really do. Um, but, uh, Mike goes, he goes, dude, it was journey. He's like, he played what the music called for, you know, he, yeah. this is what the music calls for. And that's what some really great musicians will do. They can play this incredibly complex stuff, but the music doesn't necessarily call for it, you know? And so they don't, and they, they, they add what's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's impressive. Playing within the constraints of the, uh, of the music of the song. And yeah. I'm, I'm a big admirer of, uh, of restraint in many ways. Like there's a lot you can do with a few notes and a bit of silence and some inflection and things like that here and there, whether it's drums or guitar or whatever. Yeah, and and I love that kind of stuff sometimes because it is it's it's not pounding you in the face, and it's getting this emotion across in just this nice, you know, subtle uh, to use the word again way this yeah. nice quiet way, and I love that. 
It's a feel. And you know what? Yeah. Bottom did that too. Uh, and so did um, Jeff Ricaro uh, from Toto. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's a there's a whole laundry list of them. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing thing. But I, I just, I had to flash back to that conversation because he was so adamant and so angry that I would even suggest Neil was on a certain level with, and I was kind of like, dude, as long as like for that moment, my head does like, if you tell me that any of the three, Keith Moon, John Bonham, Neil Peart are the best rock drummers in the world, whatever order you want to put them in, I'm like, cool. Yeah. I've been really since then, I've learned a good bit more. And I'm like, there's, yeah. you're right. It's, it's beyond even trying to rank them anymore. It's, it's, it's too hard. And, and really, it's not what to serve. <laughs> tell me to listen to Steve Gadd, you know, and, and compare that to John Bonham. Steve was pretty good too. So there's a lot of, I know that name. Who is that? Uh, Steve Gadd. Uh, he was a session guy. He played with uh, Steely Dan, and he played with um, uh, Paul Simon, and okay, and he was he was a groundbreaker. Uh, yeah. So you know, Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover, that really unique cool oh, drum. Yeah. He was he was, was but I mean, he, uh, there's there's too many great drummers to say this guy's the best. Right, yeah. I believe, yeah. except for maybe Buddy Rich. <laughs> Except for maybe Buddy Rich, because they'll all tell you that. Yeah. All right, Preston. I I really had a great time talking with you tonight. I I, I really appreciate you uh, giving the time and that's just sitting here and, and helping me to lead off this celebration of Rush for 2024. It's it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, dude, it's my honor. I'll I'll talk about Rush anytime. So thanks for uh, asking me to be here. Absolutely. So you have a good rest of your night. Take care and. Uh, Rage on, man. If I can steal the oh, line. <laughs> All right. All good. Take care. All right. Let's be honest here. There is no amount of time that is long enough for two Rush fans to talk about the band. There's just so many shared experiences and perspectives and, and so many aspects of the band to talk about. This easily could have gone on for hours. So I want to send a big thank you out to Preston Elliott for joining me to launch this little Rush love fest of a project. And for just honestly being one of the coolest Rush fans out there. I had a blast, and I hope we get to talk again in the future. Just want to say the best to you, Preston, and the rest of the President Steve Show crew. You guys keep doing all the great things you do every every day. It, It means so much to me and the rest of the city. So, as you like to say, rage on, man. Uh, for those watching, thank you very much for uh, your time, for joining along. If you're enjoying the channel, please subscribe and follow along on my adventures in the progosphere. Uh, the social media links are below in the description, and so is the link for my all-prog, all-the-time station, The Expanse, on Live 365. Give it a listen. I think you'll like it. If you want to hunt down my full collection of interviews, they are available wherever you find podcasts. Just search Bleeding Edge Interviews. Find them all there, going back three years now almost. Just want to say thanks once again for watching. And remember, never be afraid to deviate from the norm. Keep it proggy. And this is Super Dave, signing off.